welcome in, boys and girls, ladies and gents. Hopefully we've got a few new listeners because we are talking XFL for the love of football. It made its triumphant return, it's got to be said, last weekend. I think it surpassed many people's expectations. Our website certainly blew up over the weekend with people checking out what the fuss was all about. And I am delighted that we will now start bringing you a weekly podcast, breaking it all down in audio form. And my hopefully regular co-host throughout the course of the season is the man that put together the preview and review articles for week one and a fine read they were too. I'm joined by Mr. Michael Lavery. Michael, welcome you in, buddy. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am marvellous, mate. Marvellous. I've got 10 more weeks where I can be miserable throughout the season. <laughs> I, I get, you know, 17 weeks of the Browns being awful. Um, I can enjoy some decent football in January and February, and then I can look forward to the Tampa Bay Vipers sucking through the next 12 weeks of the year by the looks of things. Apart from that, mate, I am all good. All good. Right, let's get into it then. We'll keep the same format as we do for our NFL podcast. We'll do it in four downs, and for first down, we're just going to give you some of our initial thoughts on the league. First down. Yeah, so as I alluded to, it's been 19 long years since the original concept of the XFL first hit the screens, and it flopped fabulously, didn't it, let's be honest. Um, Michael, you probably would have been about one at that stage, so you probably don't remember an awful lot of the original incarnation. Um, so probably opened um, your eyes with a fresh perspective to this new XFL 2.0. What were your initial takeaways from the weekend before we get into the games themselves? Yeah, just as you said, my only ever experience of XFL the first time was highlights, um, videos, you know, sort of making a mock of it. But I thought it was just fun. You know, it's good to have football in February, going right the way through until April. Um, as a football fan, it's good just to have something at the weekend just, just to watch. And I thought the, the clear focus on football, and as you said, for the love of football, was good. And there was no real clear WWE influence. I thought it was good. Yeah, no, absolutely. I wrote about this um, in, a, in an article. If you haven't checked it out yet, please get over to full10yards.com and give it a read. That was one of the things that certainly jumped out to me straight away. If you were a original watcher of the first time round, you would have seen plenty of WWE references. Vince McMahon obviously still very much involved with the league from a funding perspective, but very much sitting in the background. I think he would have been very pleased with the opening weekend's business. Um, as you say, there was some good football on show, wasn't there? Plenty of hard hitting. I think the league will will improve. Let's not you know let's not be naive here. These teams have only just been put together as well, haven't they? The draft was only done what three months ago. Um, you know, so these teams are still probably getting to know each other and who they are. Um, there obviously hasn't been an awful lot of time to implement schemes. There hasn't been an awful lot of time to develop game plans. There's obviously new rules, which we'll touch on shortly, um, that teams are going to have to adjust to on the fly. I thought overall the standard was pretty good, wouldn't you have said, mate? Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't a disaster, which I think a lot of people were kind of expecting. Um, and I think definitely it was a cut above <clears throat> the AAF, which we had last year. So I think it's definitely starting to distance itself as a possible spring league that we'll see for a good few years to come. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, be cautious. There was a big positive reaction to the AAF the first time round, um, well, after the first weekend of that existence last year, and that kind of fell away very quickly. 
I think the one thing to point out here is, you know, firstly, the XFL is fully funded for at least two seasons. Obviously, as we know, the AAF wasn't funded at all, um, which is obviously why it didn't even complete a full season. The XFL certainly has got that back in. TV deals are in place. And I think that was another positive, wasn't it? You know, we're not talking about, you know, some... <laughs> you know, TV channel at the back end of the schedule. We're talking about prime networks in the States, you know, Fox covering it, ABC, ESPN. Um, and, and the ratings were excellent, mate. Did you see the ratings that have come in for the, the first weekend of games? Yeah, I had a look at them. Um, you know, as you said, it was sort of similar to what the AAF had last year, but the AAF had never really had, you know, you said that sort of prime time look about it. Last weekend we had Greg Olson, we had Pat McAfee, you know, former stars of the NFL sort of carrying this XFL brand forward. So I think it's it's just going to get bigger and better from here on out. Yeah, no, absolutely. And anyone in any doubt that football is not popular in America, they had more viewers this weekend than the NBA. You know, this is for a start-up league. This is for players, let's be completely honest, and I've called this out in my article, they're not NFL calibre of players but you know there are thousands upon thousands of kids that go and play this sport in college and want the opportunity to be able to perform um, I'm absolutely convinced that there will be players that come out of this league and end up on NFL rosters um, you know it, it is absolutely a chance for them to showcase their talents and there is an awful lot of good play on display we'll get into that when we talk about the games themselves but I certainly thought for a first First weekend, it certainly surpassed all expectations, um, you know, and hopefully, just from a UK coverage perspective, fingers crossed BT Sport actually sort of give it a nudge now. Um, it kind of almost just appeared on the schedule without any kind of, um, you know, advertisement from BT Sport that they were going to be covering it. Um, be interesting to see how that develops over the course of the season and whether it will get moved to the likes of BT Sport 1 as opposed to sort of sitting on the BT ESPN channel, um, you know, maybe being overly optimistic at the moment, but we'll see how that progresses, um, you know, but certainly a good encouraging opening weekend. Um, I suppose we would be amiss to not sort of give some initial impressions on the rule changes. Um, there are quite a number of rule changes. Obviously, all of them didn't necessarily get an airing on the weekend, but just from what you saw initially, Michael, you, your thoughts on them? Yeah, I thought they were good. I thought they were refreshing, especially the kickoffs. Um, the excitement in the uh, Dragons and Defenders game at the first kickoff was just sort of electric, so to speak. You know, people were really, really excited to see something different. And then in the later game on Saturday, the, the Roughnecks and the Wildcats, we've seen just how exciting it really can be. Uh, kickoff was sort of fumbled, but it bounced up perfectly just for the returner to sort of shoot through a gap and take the ball 60 yards back the other direction. So it really it, it sets up some sort of excitement as opposed to the mundane touchback that we have in the NF. Yeah, it's almost become an afterthought, hasn't it, the kickoff in the NFL game? And, uh, you know, I'm certainly a big advocate of special teams play. It'll be good to see that make a return. But uh, we could talk about it all night long, mate. I think, you know, probably an opportunity now to to me to play a bit of audio of a chat that I've just had with a man who's certainly in the know when it comes to the rules, and that's Roger Goodgrows. Um, I'll put that audio in there as we discuss the rules in a bit more depth. So myself and Michael could talk all day about how we view these new rules. But before we can really give you an educated opinion, it's good to know where they've originated from and obviously some of those key differences to the NFL game that you're all probably used to. And what better way to do that than welcome in a friend of the podcast, a man who knows a thing or two about officiating as the Director of Operations for the British American Football Referees Association, 
and an official in his own right, a man you've probably interacted with, no doubt, on social media as part of either the NFL UK fan group or the newly created XFL fans group. I am, of course, talking about Roger Goodgroves. Roger, welcome in, mate. Pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, exciting weekend then, a new league. I think it's probably over-exceeded expectations and obviously one of the big things going into it was, you know, how's this going to differ from the NFL? Yeah. Um, but as I said in the introduction, I think one of the key things that, that sort of I certainly took away from it is it's very still much a game of American football. So, yes. you know, where's the basis from the rules started from before we get into the key differences? Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, like I say, still an awful lot that people would recognize week in and week out. Absolutely. Fundamentally, it's, it's based on the NFL rule book and they actually have taken the NFL rule book and then just modified it. Um, the man involved in officiating for the XFL is Dean Blandino, who many of you will know for a couple of reasons. One is because he used to be the vice president or senior vice president of officiating for the NFL. He then left to be a rules analyst on Fox. So you'll hear him come in when there's contentious calls in either a college or the NFL. Um, he's the man who's in charge of officiating the XFL. And so it's a little wonder that um, quite a lot of what's come into the XFL is NFL rules with variations and they're interesting variations and ones that I think the NFL will um, sit up and take notice about as well because there's some quite in innovative ways of doing a few things which uh, we can get into. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose that leads us nicely into the first one that would have obviously been recognised, the very first play of the new XFL and that bizarre scene where a kicker <laughs> stands alone in his own half of the field looking very lonely with life. Yeah. Um, Two guards of honour in the <laughs> opposition half. Um, but obviously a play designed primarily with safety in mind. I'm a huge yeah. fan of the kickoff. I'd hate to see it disappear from the game. And, and certainly this weekend, 92% of kicks returned, which is very much what the league were looking for. Exactly. So how, how, how did that tweet come around? I, I'm with you. A kickoff when it works is a wonderful thing to see. And some of the best kickoff returns can be some of the most exciting plays. Unfortunately, if you look at the NFL uh, on a, any typical week, it's almost an anti-climax um, because nearly all plays are kicked into the end zone. And because it's kicked into the end zone, there's no chance of really getting a good return on it. Then they take a knee or just let the ball go out of the end zone and, and go out to the touchback spot at the 25. Um, so most times it's like, OK, boring play. Then they cut to an advert, which is even worse, because then you think, oh, all that momentum's gone and you know now we've not even got any football. So the second part of that is safety. Uh, the reason why um, they've changed some of the rules in the NFL um, formations and where they line up and when they're allowed to do what is all to do with safety. Some of the most dangerous um, injuries are caused by collisions during special teams plays. Kickoff has been in particular one of them. Um, so they changed the rules in the NFL to try and mitigate that. Unfortunately, it just makes it now a snooze fest, in my opinion. So what the XFL have done is said, well, we still want to keep the principle behind a good run back, but we obviously want to get rid of the safety issues that everybody running 40 yards downfield and then colliding in one big heap um, causes. So they said, well, if we have the kickoff, rather than running downfield to the positions they get to at the end of 40 yards, why don't we just put them at the positions they get to at the end of 40 yards and then just play it from there? And that's what they do. So they spread the teams out and they kick over the head of the team that are waiting uh, or patiently to re 
manage the return. And it has to go in the air and it has to go over that first two lines of uh, people. And ideally, what they want is it to land between the 20 and the end line. That's what they're aiming for. It's a penalty if you don't get it in the right places. That's designed to go what you said, which was the majority of times you get a run back and it's more exciting. And that's achieved that objective. So it may look very weird. It does look very weird. No maze about it. But it achieves the objective of keeping kickoffs interesting whilst actually keeping player safety involved. So works. Tick yeah, one the XFL, I think. Yeah, it certainly seemed to work on the first weekend. I think there was one example um, where the penalty came into force, as you mentioned, and it was actually at a crucial time of of the game. It was just before half time. I think I'm right in saying it was in the DC Defenders game, and the the kickoff didn't reach the 20 yard line, and all of a sudden the DC Defenders, with you know limited time on the clock, you know get the yeah. ball placed all the way in the opposition's 45 yard yeah. line. So. so there's an incentive for the kicker to make sure he doesn't kick it out of bounds, doesn't kick it into the end zone. You want to make sure it's returnable, and that's the key. And uh, the rules are there to make sure it is, or penalise the team that doesn't do it if that's the case. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that one progresses throughout the season. Um, yeah, I agree. Certainly, one that I think the NFL will keep a keen eye on. If you know, certainly safety has been the primary concern yeah. raised whenever they've tweaked the kickoff Absolutely. rule previously. Absolutely. Uh, there is a tweak. Um, just while we're talking about kickoffs, there is a tweak that allows an onside kick um, in certain circumstances. I won't bore you with all the detail, but you have to nominate that you're going to go for an onside kick. So the onside kick is still in there, but it does actually have some other limitations to make sure that they try and keep it interesting. Um, so they have the same principles anyway. While we're talking about kicking, the other one that uh, people may have noticed is there is no point after touchdown when you kick it. There's still an attempt to get extra points after touchdown, and that can either be a one point, two point, or three point, and that depends on whether they start from the two-yard line, five-yard line, or ten-yard line. So basically they can gamble a further distance for more points. Um, obviously if they're chasing a score, then they're more likely to gamble. So that's another good one that uh, will keep things interesting towards the end of a game. And that's what they want. They want the excitement to last. And I think that one will keep that one there. So. Yeah, and I think that one, again, will probably organically grow, won't it, as coaches get more familiar with what's yeah. working, what doesn't work. The, the general consensus, it seemed, over the weekend's play was people more often than not went for one point and, and quite often a running play was dialed up, um, yeah. which was ironic because there wasn't much rushing actually in the game. Um <laughs> But you know, the the attempts from the five yard line generally were pass plays and there yeah. wasn't huge amounts of success. That, but I do and think that's down to probability. They know that from a probability point of view, a pass play is more likely to be successful from the five. Um so again, it, it dictates what happens to some degree. Um which is good in some ways, but uh, keeps the uh, defence honest if you if they're sort of unsure what you're gonna do. If you start knowing you can definitely gonna throw, then obviously you play different coverage. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as you say, you know, if a team's down by 18, in theory, it's only a two-possession game. So that yeah, could be interesting exactly. with the, the back end yeah. of the year. A um, couple of the other significant ones, as you say, I think there's there's around about 15 or 20 different <laughs> yeah, tweaks. Yeah, there are quite a few. Yeah, we won't yeah. go through them all. <laughs> we won't cover them all. Um, one that would have been noticed again on the weekend's play was the clock stoppages inside of two minutes. You just yeah. want to talk us through what happens yeah, there? Yeah, okay. Well, let's just talk generally about the clock and differences, because there are some differences to the NFL and to college. Um, so the first one is that um, there is a specific ball spotter referee. 
So the guy in the red hat has a specific duty. He doesn't, he can't call fouls, um, or she can't call fouls in the case that there are mixed. Um, they're there to basically have the ball ready so that as soon as the play ends, the new ball can be brought in so that the play can get going quicker. So uh, they want the game to flow more and they want the games to be over quicker, but still keep the excitement level going. Um, so that's the first thing you'll get. So then in terms of timing, so there's some slight variations to uh, normal timing rules. Um, the most important of those is when we get inside two minutes. So I won't cover them all, but inside two minutes. So let's take the normal situation in uh, NFL. If you go out of bounds or there's an incomplete pass, the clock stops. Um, so when teams are chasing a lead or holding a lead and the other team is chasing the uh, chance to overtake them, they will often throw to the outside. Reason why is the receiver can then catch it and go out of bounds, stops the clock. They don't use the inside unless they've got timeouts spare. So the first thing is the XFL has fewer timeouts than the NFL does. So they only have two. So it's important to make sure that you can still use the inside of the field, especially if you haven't got timeouts. So they have a new rule designed to open up the chance of a team coming back to score in that crucial uh, comeback period, as they call it. So what happens is a play that ends inbounds, let's just take a run because it's easy to think about it, go at the middle, four or five yards, draw play, something like that. Normally what would happen is the clock would continue to run. And depending on how quickly the offense can get downfield, they might snap it after about seven seconds. But seven seconds have come off the clock. Um, potentially more, depending on how long that run or um, uh, pass inbounds actually took. It might be a while before the offense can get downfield and reset. So they've introduced a rule that says on an inbounds play within two minutes, the clock will automatically stop at the end of the play and will restart again after five seconds if my memory serves me correctly um <clears throat> so basically they'll spot the ball and as soon as they spot the ball they'll start a timer so the guy who does the normal game timing for the clock will basically have a little stopwatch decide when the clock's uh or when the ball's spotted they go right count five that gives the offense time to get their formation and still run a play without losing loads of time off the clock then they'll start the clock obviously the offense if they're if they're good can um, not use any more of that time and then run another play and then uh, hopefully have more chances to come back. So that's really what they're trying to do. Um, they want more comebacks because they want more excitement. That's basically what they're aiming for. Yeah, and of course the other advantage of that is it obviously opens up the entire playbook, doesn't it? Um, exactly. You know, if you know anyone listening to this who's you know a regular NFL watcher will realise that it's often placed to the sidelines, and obviously the defense gives up the middle of the field for that very yeah. reason that the yeah. clock will continue to run harder because obviously you're defending a smaller territory as such. Therefore, it makes it harder for the offensive team to actually make those plays work because the defense know that that's where they're going to be aiming for. So yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. About, um, um, wanting excitement. Uh, one of the other. Um, key rule differences is what happens in overtime. Um, so the overtime in the XFL will be more like what we would consider a soccer penalty shootout. And you will have each team have five attempts or up to five attempts to score. And um, basically they'll score two points for each time they successfully do so. And it's basically um, up to five. If they're still tied after five, it goes to sudden death. 
one team goes if they score the other team then goes if they don't score that first team's one and is that a series of plays is it from the five yard line in overtime or is it the two yard line uh five from memory but i'd have to double check that i think it's from the five in overtime but yeah. uh, i will uh, have, have that answer for you before we finish talking um, <laughs> that's fine that's fine um yeah, so that's interesting on the thing. Now, it's funny, actually, because they obviously hadn't fully thought through what they were going to do, because I had a conference call with Dean Blandino about the rules um, a few weeks before the season started, and um, various questions came up about what would happen, and we knew that there was going to be this um, overtime period with a shootout. And the initial thoughts on it were that they would actually play at both ends of the field, and the offence and defence for each respective team would remain down um, one end, their end, and then the referees would sprint backwards and forwards. They obviously hadn't thought that one through. <laughs> <laughs> Until you uh, referees piped be... up. So I guess again, might referees. Yeah, that's a that's a come back to that one in just one second about actually comms is a quite a, a crucial difference. Um, so yeah, so the penalty shootout and more traditional like a soccer shootout. So that should uh, again make it more interesting. Um, Comms. So let's talk about comms. Um, in order to look at comms, you first of all need to look at the NFL comms and what happens. Basically, there is limited comms between the sideline and the players on the field. And that comms, all of that, for 15 seconds from um, the um, playcock expiring, um, whichever comes sooner. And there's no communication during the play. And as you probably saw there's a few things in comms relating to the XFL. First thing is they can talk to more key uh, players on the field and that doesn't get cut off 15 seconds. So they can talk them through if they see something that uh, they, they want to actually call in, they can call it in at any time. Other things you'll see is that there are various people mic'd up you wouldn't expect to hear. So on the broadcast you'll hear the coaches sending in their plays and you can hear what they're actually uh, sending in. And if you if you know football, then you'll be familiar with some of those calls. Otherwise, it just sounds like a bunch of double dutch. Um, secondly, is that you've got a referee that's mic'd up. So you'll sometimes hear the conversations he's having with the, with his crew or she's having with the crew. And um, they they are interesting conversations to listen into because you can hear why they're debating whether this should be a foul or not. And what you'll see is good crew communication is that different people have different angles on, on each play, and that's deliberate so that they've got coverage. Um, but one person can see something that somebody else can't. Um, that could be that something says, this doesn't, it isn't a foul because of this, or somebody said, well, I didn't see a foul, but the other person from a different angle completely did. And they can come in and say, right, actually, this is what we saw, and this is why, and therefore it goes, goes for a foul. The other thing you'll hear is you'll hear the replay booth, and when they're looking at the replays, you'll see what they're looking at. And you'll hear what they're talking about, what aspects of the rules they're considering. And hopefully it will make it more understandable for fans to understand why this wasn't overturned. Principles for overturn are still the same as you need to have indisputable evidence. Um, so if it isn't clear that something wasn't what was called on the field, it will stand as called on the field. You've got to have something that overturns that. So there'll still be times when... People are shouting at the referees because they blew the play dead or they let the play go. Um, and people don't like it one way or the other. Uh, depends how it goes for your team, I guess. Um, but you'll still have those situations. But you will hear why the replay booth is actually talking about those things, what in particular they're looking at, and um, whether they can overturn or change or 
and you'll also hear them chirping about time There's, from a replay booth perspective they're looking at all aspects of the play um, including if it didn't go the way it was called on the field what would be the clock status at that time uh, again can come in at, towards the end of the game is very important so yeah, yeah it was just, lots of commas yeah. differences which are good yeah, it was really interesting actually sort of seeing some of that over the coverage on the weekend, particularly the, the replay official and very nice touch with the Xbox controller, which a few people have picked up on. <laughs> it's um, not new, surprisingly enough. Um, back in the days when a guy called Mike Pereira uh, was the senior vice president of um, officiating for the NFL, who's also coincidentally a, a sports analyst for Fox TV. So Fox took the uh, two previous VP heads. Um but he, in the NFL days, when he used to appear on the um, NFL Network programs talking about uh, uh, plays and why they were called a particular way, uh, talking to Rich Eisen, he would actually use an Xbox controller to play through the plays. Um, so it's not new, but yes, now you can see inside that booth, you can actually see uh, what they're doing and why they're doing it. Anything that makes it easier to um, see and quickly move through the different aspects uh, they also uh, changed some of the way that they uh, get replay. In the past, it was very much dependent on the broadcast. So the replay official would talk to the broadcast um, truck and basically say, on this play, I'm looking to see if his right foot was out of bounds around the 30-yard line. That gives the replay, uh, the, well, the technicians in the truck, a chance to find the angle that shows that. Um, and that was obviously very dependent because if you didn't get an angle, didn't get the view, you can't overturn it. But now they're ingesting straight away all the camera angles and then they have them all to look at. So if you look at the replay guy's screen, they have a central part, which is the sort of main aspect of what you're looking at the moment. But around the outside, you'll see popping up various different views and they'll touch screen it to bring in that view so they can say, ah, that looks like it would show the angle. Um, so, yeah, um, there was one particular replay in uh, this weekend game and uh, in New York, and you heard a good one because it was a, a potential team coming out from their own end zone, catch and or fumble, or was incomplete. And then uh, New York recovered that ball, and then they ran in towards the goal line for a touchdown. And again, the question was, were they short or did they get in? Um, did they breach the plane? And if you look at the replay, they looked at all aspects of that. They looked at whether it was uh, a complete pass or whether it um, was a fumble. It was so close to call that you could hear the replay guy go, ooh, because it's just so on the, on the border. And if it's on the border, probability is it's going to stand. Because if you can't really see that clearly that it's one way or the other, you have to let it stand with the way it was called on the field. And then as the play was returned, the next question then becomes, did he get past the goal line? They didn't have any camera angles. Because the team were coming out, the broadcast team had moved away from the goal line cameras. So there was no angle that looked down the goal line, and therefore they couldn't really effectively see whether the player breached the goal line or not. And again, there was an official very close to the goal line, and therefore they said that it did, and that's what they had to live with. Yeah, no, it's a, it really is a fascinating insight into it. And, you know, I think hopefully it's something that... You know, as you say, if you watch the NFL every Sunday and you're screaming at the TV, um, you know this will give you a good insight into those decisions and thought processes. And fingers crossed, we get more of that over the coming weeks. Um, Roger, I could talk all night, mate. It's been an absolute <laughs> education it's for a me. Anytime. 
Yeah, well, we may well get you on throughout the course of the season, particularly if there are some questionable calls. And obviously, Absolutely. once we start to get a view of some of the the new rules and they really start having an impact on the game, um, you know, it's, it's great to obviously, like I say, get it from the man in the know, um, who's um, obviously got the rule book um, and he's obviously friends with Dean Blandino. I'm very jealous, mate. Very, very jealous indeed. It's <laughs> a nice guy. His wife's English, actually. Um, one of his little known facts. Oh, there you go. There you go. Small world Small indeed. Small things, eh? Indeed. Roger, where can people find you if they want to reach out and, and talk football with you? Roger.goodgroves on Twitter, Roger.goodgroves on Facebook, um, NFL UK Facebook group, um, XFL UK fans group, Football Zebras, I'm moderator on there as well. If, uh, if you're really geeky towards the rules, that's a great place to be. No, absolutely, mate. I will be checking out. We had a, a chat before we came on air, and I'm certainly interested to get a bit more insight on a few things. So, absolute pleasure to have you on, mate. Appreciate your time. Like I say, we'll speak again throughout the season and no uh, enjoy the XFL, I, my friend. I, I promised you an answer before the end of the broadcast on where the the overtime was from, and it is from the five yard line that you suggested. So, you were right. There well you done. go. There you go, listeners. I do know a little bit myself. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Roger. Appreciate no it. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, massive thank you to Roger for that. Um, like I said, genuinely could have spoke all night long. Really interesting insight into the life of the Zebras. Um, obviously, they're guys that are on the field week in and week out. And, you know, unless there's a really contentious call, they kind of go unnoticed. Um, you know, but obviously, you know, as much as it is an adjustment for us, it's also an adjustment for these guys who, you know, regularly are coming from college football um, to referee in the XFL. A good opening weekend and some great insights uh, with the communication on display. Um, as I said, throughout the season, we may well speak to Roger again. Right, let's get into some of these game reviews then, mate. Let's move in to second down. Second down. Okay, week one in the books and the first game of the season saw the Seattle Dragons at the DC Defenders and it was a win to open up the season for the home team. I should have said at the start, Michael, we haven't actually disclosed who we're following. Uh, As a Seahawks fan in the NFL, you've decided to plump for the Dragons initially, so obviously a disappointment for yourself. Um, But, you know, break it down. How did uh, Saturday unfold? Well, I thought it was a great game. Um, I actually think Seattle were unfortunate not to stay in it towards the end. Uh, the interception that uh, sailed it for DC was sort of mid-fourth quarter and the receiver just fell down and the defender just had a clear walk into the end zone and that brought the gap from something like six points to 11 points. So after that, it was sort of game over. Uh, but as for the flow of the game, the first ever game, you know, the XFL 2.0, I thought it was brilliant. Cardell Jones was brilliant. They impressed and he now moves to 12-0 and 0 as, as a starter. Uh, after the game, you know, Jim Zorn, the Seahawks, or pardon me, the Dragons, um, head coach, he said, you know, errors can affect games. Uh, it's just about cleaning those up and, and moving forward. Uh, we'll hopefully say that Seattle clean their act up a bit and, and, and can get wins down the line. I thought their quarterback played well. Um, you know, he missed a couple of throws, but for the most part, he done what he was asked to do. And I think Seattle has a good team going forward, but to take nothing away from the defenders, I thought they played really, really well. 
Yeah, the um, like you say, was it Austin Prohl? I think the wide receiver who who had yeah. a big game. Um, there was one play in particular. It was almost, I think they called it in commentary. Obviously, trying to to hype it a little bit, but it was a little bit Patrick Mahomes esque, wasn't it? That uh, Silver stepped up in the pocket and side armed one out to to Prohl. Um, he had himself a decent day, didn't he, at the wide receiver position? Yeah, I, I wrote uh, in the week one review. You know how he scored the first ever touchdown in this new XFL but uh, unfortunately that's probably not how he'll remember week one where he'll probably put the blame on himself for falling down which caused the interception but as you say Silver's throw to him uh, that sort of running up to the line of scrimmage checking his body so he doesn't cross the line putting the ball to Prowl and just letting him run was was uh, was Mahomes-esque as you say but exciting exciting sights of, of, of what can come from this Seattle, Seattle team but Unfortunately, just wasn't enough on Saturday. Yeah, in in terms of the the, the defenders, Cardell Jones probably one of the faces of the league, isn't he? You know, he obviously, like you say, had that phenomenal season at Ohio State. Um, you know, if if he's been on, he's probably then went into the draft in hindsight a little bit too soon. Um, and obviously, basically rode the bench, didn't he? Um, throughout his his time yeah. within the NFL, but his performance on Sun on Saturday. 16 of 26, 235 yards, two touchdowns. Um, the thing that always surprises me with Cardell Jones is he can actually move pretty well for a big guy, can't he? He's actually, he actually carries quite a weapon on the ground, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, it's it's sort of weird to see when you look at him and you see photos and you see sort of... Then you match up with his highlights and he's scrambling around and making these plays. But in my preview for week one, I likened him to Andrew Luck. And the coaching staff that Jones has around him now is similar to what are is the same sort of people that uh, Luck was playing with uh, in his time at Stanford and at Indianapolis. So it'll be interesting to see if the, if they try and mould Jones into a Luck style player who we know was sort of mobile himself when he needed to be. Um, that'll be something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think it'd be also interesting. We'll probably touch on this throughout the, the, you know, all of these games. Not much going on the ground in general terms from the running backs. Um, you know, the the longest carry on the ground was fourteen yards from a defender's um, perspective. Um, you know, that's something that you know we'll see if it's a bit of a bit more of a focus moving forward. Um, you know, to see if they get a bit more balance in that um, in that run game. Or on the other big plays was um, to the the tight end Kari Lee, um, a thirty nine yarder. Um, that was a particularly good play because that was one that on the broadcast Pep Hamilton was in the. In the earphones, he was on the headset, and he, he actually talked through that entire play, didn't he? Um, really interesting to see, you know, how that all um, sort of unfolds, if you like, from the coach's perspective on the sidelines. Yeah, I think this is definitely something that the XFL are going to really buy into. Um, they're going to really lean heavy during these broadcasts on getting coaches on, and it's something for regular NFL fans that we only really see in the Pro Bowl. This this isn't something that we're used to seeing week in week out. So for this to be available week one. Is is very exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Couldn't have timed it any better, could they? With that particular, uh, with that particular play, um, as you say, um, uh, you know, a bit of razzle dazzle. That's what you know. Certainly, something the league are looking for. They want these highlight plays and these explosions. And obviously, you know, absolutely timed that one up to perfection. Final score in this one: thirty-one to the DC Defenders, nineteen to the Seattle Dragons. Um, so a big home win to open up the season for DC. 
Let's move on then to the second game of the doubleheader on Saturday. Um, and that was, um, of course, the Houston Roughnecks. What a brilliant name, the Houston Roughnecks. I haven't commented on, on most of these names, but I think the Houston Roughnecks has got to be a particular favourite. Um, don't know why, just really quite like that one. <laughs> any any, any teams that... You had a told that to the commentator. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Um, what, what was it he shouted out? Houston Renegades, was it he called AC, them? First, yeah, touchdown, touchdown Renegades, he said, on the, on the first play from scrimmage. Yeah, never mind. They were obviously playing on Sunday. Um, they obviously took on the LA Wildcats. Um, big blowout win this one, 37-17. Um, and essentially, the man who won the XFL Star of the Week, we'll touch on that a little bit in the news, PJ Walker had himself a bit of a day here, didn't he? Through four touchdowns to four different receivers, um, and you know, particularly in the second half, was able to move the ball at will. Um, LA obviously hampered at quarterback. Um, probably, I would say, from what I saw, the weakest quarterback on display over the weekend in Chad Canoff. Um, Josh Johnson, who's bounced around several teams in the NFL, that'll be a name that people recognise and certainly a face that people recognise when he eventually does get into the game, um, was dealing with a groin injury, so Canoff took the start. He struggled just 21 of 40 for 214 yards and threw um, just the one touchdown and the one interception. Um, essentially, the interception, if we're being honest, was a little bit unfortunate, um, but Canoff seemed to just struggle to get the, the Wildcats moving um, certainly after the first quarter, um, he seemed to have quite a nice hookup. He got Jordan Smallwood in the end zone for a couple of touchdowns. Um, probably one of the only WWE references on the weekend was Jordan Smallwood's celebration. A little bit Randy Orton-esque um, for any WWE fans that are listening in. They'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but from there, the Roughnecks really took over, didn't they? Um, it was probably the best-looking offense on display, I would say, in week one, mate. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. <clears throat> I think I think Walker done an excellent job of showing real leadership and real determination. You know, to will his team to win. Uh, his movement, his escape ability, and his ability to throw on the run. He was doing it, moving left and moving right. And in fact, on one of his touchdowns, it was just almost straight running backwards. They were trying to set up a screen. The defender got in his face real quick, and he was able to get the pass off, which went for a score. He. He just showed how this offense, and as they described before the season even started, this this is just a run-and-shoot style offense. It's just throw the ball 70-80% of the time and put, put a target up for other teams to come catch you, and whether they can do it or not is up to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. It'd be interesting to see how that continues on. I think a lot of people were expecting Connor Cook might win that job. Um, I think, obviously, it seems... Seems pretty certain that it's going to be um, the PJ Walker show moving forward. Um, you know, certainly after the impressive opening weekend, similar to what we said on the opening game, not an awful lot going on on the ground um, outside of PJ Walker himself rushing for 26 yards on just the four carries. Leading rusher um, for the Roughnecks in this one was Butler, nine attempts for 30 yards. He did find the end zone. Um, but again, similar pattern really throughout the league. Not so much emphasis on the rush in week one. 
from a receiving perspective, um, interesting to see Sammy Coates was targeted a bunch of times, probably the biggest name receiver um, that people will recognize. Spent plenty of time in the NFL, has had stints at Pittsburgh and at Cleveland more recently. He was targeted nine times, only actually came up with two receptions for a paltry 26 yards. Um, but like I say, they certainly spread the ball around, didn't they? Um, you know, Walker, 39 attempts in the end. Racked up those 272 yards along with the four touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, really nice day for PJ Walker. Um, we'll get on to the Wildcats when we talk news because obviously the, the big news coming out of it is already we've had a coaching casualty. Um, yeah, but like I say, defensively, they really did disappear, particularly in that second half. Um, yeah, but it was really, you know, quite startling really um you know just how how easy it was for the roughnecks to move the ball um you know just going into just going into half time you know at one stage you know LA actually led 17 12 um you know the roughnecks got on top with a minute 10 to go in the um in the first half and it was just unanswered points then from the roughnecks all the way um, throughout the second half as they padded that lead out. Ultimately, get a big win, 37 points to 17. And certainly from a week one perspective, probably, um, you know, like I say, the most complete performance, I would suggest, on the week. Right, Michael, we're going to go out of order, mate, because I'm going to cover the Tampa Bay Vipers shortly, but I've been rattling on for a while. So talk us through the late game that we saw on Sunday between the Renegades and the Battlehawks. Yeah, it was... Pretty much defensively orientated. Uh, I don't think it was as high scoring as some people had sort of really hoped or had expected. There was no Landry Jones uh, for the Renegades. Uh, he was the first quarterback allocated to a team in the XFL draft process. Uh, they said he was ready to go, but the doctors advised uh, minimal reps. So they went with backup Philip Nelson. Instead, uh, they said Landry Jones should be good to go week two, perhaps week three. So it'll be interesting whether or not we see him this coming weekend. Nelson done okay, um, but he did he did have a, a killer interception in the fourth quarter as he was trying to lead a, lead a game-winning comeback. Um, neither teams could really get anything sort of going, but Jordan Tamu, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, for the Battlehawks, uh, the quarterback, he, he played well enough to get them to a victory. He, he had a massive... A massive rush. I think it was 37 yards he went for on a crucial play towards the end of the game. That's just sort of really sealed sealed the fate for St. Louis. Yeah, St. Louis were one of the teams that actually did get something going on the ground, didn't they? They had Matt Jones, the the former Washington Redskin, I believe I'm right in saying. Um, he actually leads the league after week one, um, just 85 yards on the ground, which is kind of an indication of what we've been talking about here. Not a huge amount of focus on the run game. If you look at it from the Dallas Renegades' perspective, um, Cameron Artis Payne was one of the guys you know that was talked about leading into the season. Um, you know, expecting him to be you know quite prominent in their rushing game. He only actually had two attempts, um, and the combined Renegades rushing total was actually only 12 carries on the day. Um, they only put up 58 yards of ground offense. When you compare that to St. Louis, Matt Jones himself had 21 attempts for those 85 yards. So certainly a commitment, it would have seemed, from the Battle Hawks to get that ground game going. Um, they obviously came into this one as underdogs, didn't they? So probably a bit of deliberate, um, you know, the way the game plan played out there for them. Um, but interesting that the Battle Hawks in the final game of the weekend probably took a different approach to the, what the rest of the league had done in the games leading up to that, mate. 
Yeah, definitely. And it worked. On the weekend, they were the only time to secure a road victory. So they were doing something right. Yeah, no, absolutely. 191 rushing yards as a team to 58 put up by the Renegades. Uh, in terms of the Renegades, I think, you know, like you said, Philip Nelson had himself a decent day. You know, if you look at his percentage completion rate, it was 79%. You know, we're talking sort of Drew Brees type level there, aren't we? Um, yeah. You know, but those 33 completions only netted 209 yards. So safe to say, too much dink and dunk. Um, his longest pass of the day was only 21 yards. Um, and like you say, Tamu on the other side, you know, made some big plays when he needed to, didn't he? Um, you know, personally, I thought it was great for St. Louis. I think some of the reactions on Twitter, um, certainly from an American perspective, that seems to be a team that has attracted a huge fan base and probably understandable considering the Rams were snatched away a few years ago. Um, but, you know, great to see, wasn't it, mate? You know, real big crowd reaction for St. Louis and really looking forward to their home opener to see how they respond at home. Yeah, I think, uh, well, they're on the road again next week, but I think week three is just going to be the true definition of electric. I think it's the only city, the only team that doesn't currently have a team, you know, so it was the only vacant market that uh, the XFL really explored. And I think we'll see the benefits of it, especially if the team keeps up, keeps playing well. It'll definitely show dividends whenever it comes to playing at home. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. Absolutely, we want to look out for. Um, talking of a team in a big market, that is the final game of the weekend that we'll talk about, and the New York Guardians. Um, slightly strange, really, actually seeing this one played in MetLife Stadium. That's something that they might have to reconsider, um, unless the, the popularity of the league really does balloon. It's obviously a huge venue. Um, but they took on the Tampa Bay Vipers, who are the team that I've adopted. So, of course, that would be natural that the Tampa Bay Vipers then put up the least points of anybody this weekend. Um, not all bad, though, to be fair. Actually, when you take the game stats, the Tampa Bay Vipers actually put up more yards of offence than any other team in the XFL this week. So it just goes to show that sometimes stats can be a little bit misleading. And they actually outgained the Guardians in this one, 394 yards to 226. Um, so you would you would kind of question why did the scoreboard end up the way that it did? Um, and the simple answer really is red zone efficiency and turnovers. Um, Aaron Murray, the Tampa Bay Vipers quarterback, Threw for a ton of yards in college, didn't he, with George? I still think he holds plenty of SEC records, but he really did look rusty, which is kind of to be expected, I suppose. He hasn't really thrown at a competitive football um, since his days in, well, I think he actually did appear in the AAF last year, to be fair, but it's certainly been 12 months since he's thrown in a competitive environment. And he really struggled 16 of 34 um, and two killer interceptions, particularly one in the red zone. Um, responding to the initial game opening drive of the Guardians. Um, Quinton Flowers, when he came into the game, actually gave the Vipers quite a bit of a spark on offence. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that one develops over the course of the coming weeks. I think there's a lot of clamouring for Flowers to sort of just take that job permanently. He certainly got more mobility than Murray. Murray, very much a traditional packet, pos- uh, packet. Well, pocket passer. Easy for me to say. Uh, on the other side, um, Matt McGloin, um he was fairly efficient, to be fair. Um, you know, 182 yards through the air, made the throws that he needed to, um, had a couple of big plays. There was a nice catch from um, Mikhail McKay, who's a guy that is getting a lot of love out of the Guardians. Um, you know, he had a big diving catch, 45-yarder, and that was one of the highlight plays of the weekend. 
Um, and, and the Guardians, to be fair, never really looked in danger in this one. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Tampa do respond. Um, like I say, obviously, you know, the scoreboard would suggest it was a good battering. Um, and to be fair, it, it never did feel as though they were going to get back into the game. Um, but like I say, when you actually look at the stats, it wasn't all that bad. More first downs, more yardage, you know, much better on third down. The Guardians were only one of 10 on third down. Um, so it's certainly not all bad. 150 yards rushing for the Vipers, only 44 for the Guardians. The more I read these stats, the more I think that this score is actually the wrong way around. But unfortunately, it was correct. It was 23 to the Guardians, 3 to the Vipers. So my team off to a losing start. Uh, it all feels a bit normal, mate, as a Browns fan, seeing my team on the wrong end of a defeat. Did you watch any of this one on Sunday? I've seen bits and pieces uh, and just to head on a couple of the points that you made. Um, I think the stadiums is definitely something that the XFL might want to revisit. Um, MetLife just sort of looked like a bit of an echo chamber. It was it was empty. Um, maybe if, if they stick the cordon off upper tiers, upper decks and sort of trying to really funnel fans into the lower parts and making bigger crowds. I think when you compare MetLife to what was seen in Houston with the TD ECU stadium, it, it looked packed. The atmosphere was amazing. But that really didn't affect on-field performance. As you said, McGloin played well. He done he done all he needed to do. And he sort of showed his time in the pros playing off. One of his touchdown passes, he was able to recognise a blitz, shift protection, and get the pass off in time. So that'll help going forward, definitely. Um, I wrote before the season started, I don't think he can be the star of the league. And, you know, certainly if he starts to play bad, a New York crowd will definitely let him know. But based on what he done in week one, you know, if he keeps it going, he could prove me wrong quite quickly. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's like you say, he's in that big market, isn't he? So he's got the potential, um, you know, to obviously sort of carry that franchise on his back. Um, you know, he very humble in all of his interviews off the field. You know, he sort of talked about how good it was to have his family in attendance and all of those kind of things. Um, I actually saw Matt McGloin play in London, um, one of the London games. He actually started at quarterback for the Raiders. I believe it was against the Dolphins some time ago. Um, so I've actually seen Matt McGloin play. Um, so he's been around for a long time. Um, and obviously, similar to what we've said about the league in general, just a guy really you know, happy for the opportunity um, to continue to play the game that he loves. So it be interesting to see how the Guardians go. Um, Probably a little bit like what we always say after week one of the NFL season. Probably best not to overreact. We certainly don't know how these teams are going to respond to a win or a defeat. And obviously, very quickly, it can be turned around. Um, so it'll be interesting. We'll get into week two shortly. But let's bring you up to speed with some of the news from around the league that has happened since the weekend. Okay, let's give you a little bit of XFL-specific news then. We've kind of touched on it already, but just to mention in terms of the TV ratings, it outperformed all of the major sports in North America this weekend, drawing over 3.9 million viewers, which was excellent for the opening weekend. Obviously, they've got those big lucrative TV deals in play, so it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. Um, There was a lot of talk that it was similar ratings to the AAF, but bear in mind, week one of the AAF was on CBS, and then it disappeared onto minor networks and onto the NFL network, and it never really recovered. So it'll be interesting to see how, with the TV deals in place, Fox can hopefully keep the train rolling. Uh, In terms of people actually turning up at the stadiums, again, more good news for the league in terms of its longevity prospects. They've actually already sold more tickets 
for the opening season um, than the AAF did during its entirety. Um, and there is news that Seattle in particular, mate, are opening up more venue, uh, more tiers of the stadium for this weekend's home opener. Um, so it does seem as though Seattle are certainly getting beyond their local side, which has surely got to be good news, hasn't it? If people are flocking to see it, it's got to be good news for the league. Oh, definitely. And we know typically as NFL fans what a Seattle crowd can do to a game. Um, the 12s, the Seahawks have been literally a 12th man on the field. So hopefully the Dragons can sort of benefit off it. Um, I think having a Seattle legend, as Jim Zorn as your quarterback, as, as, Dav, as your head coach, sorry, an ex Seahawks quarterback is definitely a massive draw for fans. Um, that, that should help massively in terms of uh, home performance, on-field performance, and just sort of growing the brand in general. I think it might actually create a bit of a competitive nature between other teams to hopefully say, well, okay, if you can do that in your home stadium, this is what we can do. And it, hopefully it, it brings out uh, the competitive nature in fans to, to rack up the attendance. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, with all of these things, you know, whatever, you know, the reaction is in the UK and it's great that we've got people that are interested in it. It'll all be dictated by how many bums ultimately end up on seats in stadiums and obviously how many people watch it on TV in the States. So both really good bits of news. Um, from a coaching perspective, I can't believe I'm actually saying this at the end of week one, but we already have a coaching casualty. The LA Wildcats, as I mentioned, after the back of a disastrous second half showing, um, are already on the lookout potentially for a new defensive coordinator. I'll say potentially because I've got a feeling that the head coach may well end up doing that job himself. But I'll just give you the quote here, Michael, from the post-game press conference. And I think it's safe to say the writing was probably on the wall for one of the coordinators. This was Winston Moss directly after the game. He said, earlier in the week, I gave my coordinators three golden rules this week. Win the turnover battle, win the field position battle, and win on the explosive plays. We did none of them. End of quote. It didn't sound like he was very happy after the game. And ultimately, like 24 hours later, and we end up with Pepper Johnson, um, the defensive coordinator, moved on already. Yeah, I think that would have been a pretty awkward meeting to have so soon into the season. Um, I'm not sure Pepper Johnson would have been expecting it, but when you hear your head coach and essentially your boss, as these head coaches are doubling up as general managers, when you hear them saying something like that, you have to know something's up and that you, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. So it'll be interesting to see how DC Cope going forward, sorry, uh, LA Cope going forward, um, how their defence plays, but it should be interesting. Yeah, it will be interesting. I think, you know, I said on the lookout potentially for a DC, I think all the rumblings that I've heard and everything I've listened to kind of suggests um, that Winston Moss is probably, certainly for this week at least, going to be calling that defensive scheme. Um, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, if he, you know, sort of maintains that dual role throughout the rest of the season. One of the other things, just from a Wildcats perspective, Anthony Johnson um, was also being cut, and I only mentioned this as a bit of a surprise because he's almost been a bit of a face of this franchise. We mentioned Josh Johnson earlier um, in terms of the quarterback position, but from a defensive perspective, Anthony Johnson has been um, the guy that's been all over you know, the advertisements and all the marketing stuff from that side of the ball. So again, probably a little bit of a surprise that that axe has been wheeled. It, it kind of makes you think that something's probably been going on in the background, potentially throughout camp. 
would seem very strange at this early stage of the season for these kind of moves to be being made, wouldn't it, mate? Yeah, it definitely doesn't bode well for the look of the Wildcats as a franchise, perhaps, as you say, a bit of tension in the locker room, but maybe that tension could be freed, could be could be fixed now with, with uh, the two Johnsons being gone, Pepper and Anthony. Um, it, it's weird. Uh, I didn't expect to be sort of discussing this after one week of football, but again, <laughs> football is football and here we are. So going forward, it'll be interesting to see who takes the leadership role both on the sidelines and on the field. As you said, the whole marketing campaign was Anthony Johnson. Um, so that's a bit of a tough job to, to rebrand so quickly. Uh, I just hope it doesn't really catastrophically affect their on-field product because that wouldn't really be good for the league in general. I hope they can sort of steady the ship and get a win under their belts this weekend. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Um, you know, he's a guy that's you know spent some time on multiple NFL franchises. You know, going through his career, he and started off at the Dolphins. He's bounced around Redskins, Patriots, Jets, Colts. Um, he also spent some time um, with the Calgary Stampeders in the CFL, and that links us nicely to a guy um, from the CFL who's you know had masses of production in that league, and that's S.J. Green, who's actually joined on with the Seattle. Dragons, um, wide receiver, tons of um, productivity from from the Canadian Football League. So again, probably a nice weapon to have on the outside um, up in Seattle, mate. Definitely. Um, a quick look at his stats, and you'll know that this is somebody who's coming in who loves football. Um, he just loves to to play each week. He has seven hundred and sixteen catches for ten thousand two hundred twenty-two yards. He's caught 60 touchdowns over 170 games and he was an eight-time CFL All-Star, actually winning three Grey Cup championships in his time in the league. So he entered the XFL waiver wire and thankfully, you know, for me as a Seattle fan, he ended up in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he goes. Like you say, certainly masses of production in uh, the Canadian Football League. So it'd be interesting to see how that transcends, um, you know, and good luck to him. Um, the other one, just of note, um, and some people listening to this may well recognise this name, quarterback Brogan Roback signed on with the Dallas Renegades. Brogan Roback, probably most famous for appearing on the Cleveland Browns version of Hard Knocks a couple of years ago when he was fighting for a backup job and spent time in the RV with Baker Mayfield. Um, he, he actually showed a few glimpses in pre-season um, that year for the Browns and there was some talk about keeping him on um, as part of the practice squad. It never quite materialised. So good luck to Broby if he does get on the field in Dallas. Um, obviously, like you say, I think you know, that's all obviously geared up for Landry Jones when he does return from injury. Um, so certainly not expecting Roback on the field, um, but certainly he'll get a chance to compete. And that's obviously what this league is all about. Right, mate, in terms of competing, let's have a quick talk about who's going to be competing against two this weekend as we move to fourth down. Fourth down. So your full week two breakdown will come to you in written format before the weekend games kick off. Um, certainly looking forward to getting my teeth into that, Michael, when you drop your excellent article this week. Well, let's have a quick chat about it in audio form. I'll open us up with the early game on Saturday, um, and that's the DC Defenders at the New York Guardians. Uh, big matchup this one, isn't it? On paper, certainly after the opening weekend of fixtures and results. So DC 
obviously with Cordell Jones leading that offence against Matt McGloin's New York Guardians. And I would expect that this one will be probably pretty high scoring. These were two offences that showed that they could move the ball when required. Um, I was impressed with the amount of weapons that the New York Guardians had on the outside. I mentioned Mikhail McKay earlier. Um, be interesting to see how he continues to build up that chemistry with McGloin. Obviously, from a DC perspective, Cardale Jones was pretty much the start of the show in week one. And again, I think, you know, let's let's be completely honest. We've said this a couple of times. These teams are still getting to know each other. They're still getting to develop the playbooks and all of those kind of good things. We often sort of say at this stage of the season, when we talk about it from an NFL perspective, that defences have probably got the edge because offences are still catching up on things. If that is the case, you know, these are two franchises that, you know, potentially could put on a bit of a scoring fest between them. You know, there was over 55 points put up on week one. You'd expect this one to be high scoring. I'd expect to see some more attempts of, you know, two-point conversions as opposed to teams just going for one. I think, you know, as strategy becomes more and more part of the game moving forward, we'll see more and more um, ambition from the coaches. Um, you know, I thought Pep Hamilton was actually quite conservative at times with some of his calls on Sunday uh, on Saturday. So it'll be interesting on his first road adventure to see how he goes with that. Um, I'll also be looking to see if the Guardians can continue their good performance in the red zone. Um, yeah, they really excelled in that area. Tampa on the weekend had three trips inside the red zone and didn't come away with points. Um, you know, obviously that stands to reason that if you can reproduce that, you're going to be a hard nut to crack. So interesting game this one. It's the early one on Saturday. It's probably the prime window, isn't it? Seven o'clock Saturday night. You've got two choices, either the Mass Singer or DC at New York. It's certainly got to be the XFL, hasn't it, for your early Saturday evening viewing. Um, Saturday night there, mate. It's already our first rivalry game of the season. It's my Vipers at your Dragons. So talk us through that one briefly. Yeah, well, as you said, both both teams are going to be looking for their first first win of the season. Um, I'm hoping I'm hoping there'll be a, a typical Seattle crowd, as we mentioned to you earlier. You mentioned ticket sales are looking well up there. That'll that'll make for a brilliant atmosphere. Um, a home opener. Um, whether or not you know the Vipers come in, it all really depends on how Aaron Murray plays. Could we see Quentin Flowers early? Uh, uh, you know, we'll have we'll have to see how how that game goes, and, and if it starts to get away from Tampa, well, whether that change will come into play, but. As for Seattle, I'm hoping get the first week over you, get a bit of confidence. You know, you finally had a game. Um, Jim Zorn will hopefully be a bit more confident, a bit more direct in his play column, um, and sort of open it up a wee bit and, and put a few more points on the board and sort of get rid of last week from the memory. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. I'll be, you know, I'll be interested to see how how Tampa go. I I think Quinton Flowers, whether he starts or not, I certainly think you're going to see more of him. He was used almost as a bit of a gadget player in week one, wasn't he? I think the commentary team um, almost likened it to the way that Taysom Hill was being used from an NFL perspective with the Saints, you know, that he was just brought in for specific plays or packages. Um, I can certainly see Flowers getting, you know, more series within the game. Um, you know, ultimately, if the offence is moving with him behind centre, that's what it's all about. So I think Aaron Murray will be on a very short leash. Um, be interesting to see how that one goes. I, thought, I was impressed with Seattle. Um, like you say, the, the final scoreline doesn't necessarily do the competitive nature of that game justice um, against the defenders in week one. Um, you know, they'll probably open up as favourites and rightly so at home. Um, but like I say, don't let the scoreboard fool you. Tampa sneakily, you know, did get plenty of um, production. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. 
Let's move on to Sunday then, mate. And we've got two teams looking for their first win as Dallas travel to LA. And we just talked about LA, haven't we, with the changes in the coaching department. Be interesting to see if the defence turns up and, you know, certainly produces better than what they did in the second half of their week one opener. Obviously, for Dallas, all eyes will be on Will Landry Jones take the field? He certainly seemed to give that indication, didn't he, um, that he would do so. And obviously, you would imagine the offence will look different. Landry Jones has probably got more experience than anybody from a quarterback position um, within the league. Um, you know, he had several opportunities to start when Big Ben was injured at Pittsburgh. Um, you know, I've seen him play the Browns several times as well when Pittsburgh invariably rested their starters after securing the playoffs. Um, and he's always produced decent games against the Browns. That probably says more about the Browns than it does against Landry Jones, but uh, certainly he comes battle ready. Um, be interesting as well to see if Cameron Hart is paying, who was talked up a lot, actually gets more involved in the game plan. Um, you know, I, I certainly drafted him in DraftKings this weekend. Um, he was actually the most drafted player in DraftKings for anybody that did play along. Over 45% of all teams took Cameron Artis Payne, and we would have all been delighted with the three points that he produced, wouldn't we? I think not. Um, so it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how that one goes. Um, obviously, on the other side as well, the, the, the big question is Josh Johnson and whether he goes for LA. Um, you know, I think, again, all signs are pointing towards that he was a game time decision last weekend, so probably fully expect that he will go. Um, so they could be two very different looking sides from what we saw in week one. Um, so that will be a good matchup on the West Coast in the early one on Sunday. Rounding off the weekend then, mate, the Battle Hawks again on the road. And they're the only road team with a victory in week one. Can they replicate it week two? They've obviously got the tough task of the Roughnecks of the you know most impressive performance that me and you agreed on in week one. Yeah, I think this is going to be the game of the week. Um especially just from what was seen in week one. I think it'll be important for PJ Walker to repeat his form. He'll, he'll have to get the game going early, get the team into a good flow, because if not, you could let St. Louis end it, you let the Battlehawks get going. This, this I think, is going to be a case of, you know, you need touchdowns, not field goals. And that sort of it ties in the end of the strategy and the bravery of are the coaches going to go for one, two, or three on the, on the points after touchdowns. Um, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. But for me, I think just based on what we've seen in week one, I think that this is another rough next win. Unfortunately, I would like to see the Battlehawks, you know, go back home with a, with an opening record of 2 0. But I, th- I think this is just <clears throat> from, I know, as you said, about getting carried away, but it was quite a performance from the rough next, wasn't it, really? So I'm hoping to see the same again in week two. Yeah, they were certainly the standout team of week one. I think it'll be interesting. You know, we mentioned about um, St. Louis almost deliberately having some commitment to that ground game. And obviously, if the game flow dictates that they can do that again, then obviously it'll be interesting to see if Matt Jones continues to pound the rock for them. Um, you know, potentially, um, you know, if they can really hold on to the ball. Um, you know, and obviously keep PJ Walker on the sidelines for long periods. Um, then that would seemingly be the way that they would want to go. Um, obviously, the league's still very, very early in its infancy, so we don't really know how important you know time of possession and all those kind of things necessarily are in the XFL. But it stands to reason, um, you know, if you're ground, grinding out first downs with regularity, particularly on the ground. It, it, it sort of just saps any sort of confidence away from the defence, doesn't it? You know, on third down last week, the Battlehawks were 50%, you know. So 
really quite efficient from that perspective. Um, you know, and a lot of those were picked up on the ground as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I, I would probably, you know, side with yourself. I, I think the Roughnecks are obviously um, the team to beat. Um, you know, but certainly um, be interesting to see if St. Louis continues with that style of play that they brought out in week number one. Right, man, that's all the game's covered. Like I say, we'll probably break it down in a bit more depth in written form. Um, and obviously, you know, as me and you get used to the the league and these players, we'll probably start talking about it more and more in depth. But for this week and now our first episode, mate, we better get out of here because I can see the referees running in. It's time for the two-minute warning. That's the two-minute warning. Even the XFL has a two-minute warning, um, but the clock never stops for us here at the full 10 yards. Plenty of content winging its way over to you over the last few days and weeks. And a big thank you to everyone that's been engaging with us. We've seen um, you know, huge reaction to XFL, as we said. That's why we've obviously started up this podcast. So I'd appreciate any feedback and any comments. Um, yeah, it'd be really great to start covering what you guys want to see and hear. Uh, myself and Michael have certainly become almost the de facto XFL enthusiasts of the full 10 yards. So we'll hopefully be here every week to get you bang up to speed. In terms of the other stuff that's going on, get yourself over to the college football podcast that Tim and Lee produced yesterday. Uh, it brightened up my commute to work this morning, talking about the teams at the top of the draft. And if you haven't done so yet, check out the Monday podcast. We talk all things quarterback. Uh, and there was even a sneaky rendition of the full 10 questions. I think a certain somebody might have won a quiz on Monday. I will leave you to guess who that might have been. Um, written format, plenty of seasoning review articles still winging the way through to you. Not many teams left to go, but uh, if you're getting some NFL withdrawals, go and relive it all in how your team got on throughout the season. Really been enjoying those series of articles. And as I said, we do not stop. We will continue to cover all things American football right throughout the off-season. Um, and as me and Michael have said, that off-season delayed for at least the next 11 weeks as we will be covering XFL and loving every minute of it. I think that pretty much gets us up to speed, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on for week one and look forward to your company throughout the season. But for now, it's goodbye from Michael. Thank you very much. And it's goodbye from me. And of course, in the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards. Or email the show, full10yards at gmail.com.